Heavenly Father, we look to you. And as we sang in several of the songs today, it's, it's only through the blood of Jesus that we can be made right. And God, I just come before you and ask you to, to show me what's on my heart. Cleanse me in any way that you need to cleanse me. And God, I pray that we would all pray the same thing, that we would continually look to you to know that our only hope is in you, that you lead us in a path of life. And Jesus, we thank you that you came to lead us on that path. We pray, God, that we would learn from you, that we would learn from the example of Jesus as we look into your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Three years ago, I did a sermon series on Matthew 1 through 7, and I didn't really want to stop there, but uh, we had other things to get to, and uh, I, I wanted to get to Matthew 8 and 9, um, but it's taken me three years to get back there, but we're going to do it now, starting today. We've got a new sermon series. It's called Follow Me, Living Like Jesus. And the idea here is that we would look at the, the life and the words and the teachings of Jesus and that we would learn from him. Now, this these two chapters, Matthew 8 and 9, obviously follow Matthew 1 through 7. I'm guessing most of you figured that out already. In Matthew 5 through 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Uh, do you remember how Matthew 7 ended? So Jesus had been, been teaching the crowds, and I'll read for you the last two verses. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Kind of makes you wonder what they were used to hearing. But when the people heard Jesus speak, they were amazed. He really knew what he was talking about. His words carried authority. As such, people continued to follow him after the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we see in the very first verse of Matthew 8, is that, that people were continuing to follow him. But the tone changes then. So in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus was, was giving a bunch of words, a bunch of teaching. And we'll see some of that in Matthew 8 and 9. But the tone changes because what we see a lot of in Matthew 8 and 9 is miracles. And in those miracles, we see the heart of God. So it's not just the words of Jesus that have power, it is his actions as well. Now one question we should ask, and I, I hope you've asked this question before as you've read the Bible, but why did Jesus do all the miracles that he did? And I think one simple answer is that he cared about people. He wanted them to be healed. But I think there's an even deeper and, and perhaps a stronger answer, and I think it has to do with this idea that God wanted to show through Jesus Christ his authority and his power and to confirm that Jesus is the one whom we should follow. So when we see these miracles, we should, yes, see the compassion, the grace, the love of God, but also the power and the authority of God, that Jesus Christ is the one whom we should follow. So what we see in Matthew 8 through 9 is some quick-hitting stories about the amazing power that Jesus showed over the terrible things of this world. But in the midst of it, what we also see, and this is where the, the title of my sermon series comes from, we see Jesus urging people to follow him. Now, the people who followed him were called disciples. And do you know what the word disciple means? It means a learner or a follower. And the idea is, as people spent time with Jesus, listened to his teaching, learned from his life, God did a work in their hearts 
to change them to become more like Jesus. And that's what I want for us as well. So that's the point of this sermon series that we're doing. It's probably going to take us uh, into the first week of October. We're going to look at what Jesus did, what Jesus said. We want to learn more about him and to follow him more closely and to let God do his work to change our hearts. And don't we all need that? We all need to keep coming before God and letting him change what's in us to make it more like Jesus. But uh, let me use an illustration here and ask you a question. Who are you becoming more like? Are any of you becoming more like your parents? And here's how I want to test that one. Spouses, I'm giving you freedom to do this here. Raise your hand if your spouse is becoming more like one of their parents. Okay? Oh, I'm, am, am I raising my hand? I'm sorry. Um, Christine's just becoming so much like her dad. No. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, but you know what? It's not a bad thing to become like your parents because what happens? You spend all this time with your parents and you learned good things from them and if later on in your life you start doing some of those good things, that's not a bad deal. But there can be a, a negative side to this as well and we'll, we'll change the illustration a little bit. Do you ever notice yourself becoming more like the people that you watch on TV or movies? And, and maybe it's, it's some of the, the shows you shouldn't be watching or the movies you shouldn't be watching and you notice yourself starting to think like them, starting to talk like them. And, and for better or for worse, we become like the people that we spend time with. Now, in regard to Jesus, that's exactly the point, that we would spend time with him and become more like him. So again, that's what we're going to do in this sermon series. We're going to spend time looking at who Jesus is, what he did and said. We want to learn from him, become more like him, pattern our lives after him. Today we're going to look at the first two stories in Matthew 8. And as we look at these two stories, I want to point out for you three key concepts that we see in these two stories about what it means for us to follow Jesus. So I'm going to read Matthew 8, verses 1 through 13. When he, that's Jesus, came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. So again, I have three key concepts I want to point out to you from these two stories. And the first one is compassion. Now, the word compassion isn't in this passage, but I think it's a good description of what we see. So what does that word compassion mean? 
Elsewhere in the Bible, there's this really cool word that talks about how you, you feel it in your gut. Have you ever had that feeling that you see the, the need or the problem of somebody else and you feel it in your gut and you just want to help? Well, before we dig into these stories here, I want to ask you a question. Are you a compassionate person? When you see the needs of people around you, do you want to help? Do you feel it in your gut for them? Or do you find reasons not to help? Or maybe you you look at the life of the person and try to come up with some reason why they don't deserve help. Well, in this first story in Matthew 8, the leper really was in need. Now, when we talk about leprosy here, we don't necessarily need to think of what we would call leprosy today. That, that word in the Bible probably was a, a general term that could refer to a variety of skin diseases. Uh, oftentimes, they would be contagious. So we don't know exactly what this man had, but we do know that he was given the title of leper, which would be a horrible statement. Uh, So picture yourself being this leper. And what would happen to the leper when somebody notices that they have this skin disease, they'd they'd probably be terrified and they'd say, you need to go get that checked out. And there were prescriptions in the Old Testament about what they would have to do. And if if the verdict was that they had a contagious skin disease, they would be sent outside of the community. Oftentimes they'd, they'd live in a colony with other lepers. But can you imagine getting a skin disease and when people see you, their faces go white with fear and they send you away. And all your life you're told not to touch people. Uh, I've even read that they would have to call out when people would come their way, unclean, unclean, basically saying, warning, danger, don't come near me. That's how this man lived. Now, I imagine that if a leper like that came to us, we could easily come up with reasons not to help. I don't want what he has. But look at how Jesus responded. The the leper asked Jesus if he would be willing to heal him. And Jesus not only said that he was willing, but he also reached out his hand and touched the leper. Who knows how long it had been since that, that man had had anybody touch him. And Jesus didn't have to touch him. I just read that other story where we saw that Jesus healed at a distance. So why the touch here? I think it was compassion. I think it was part of the healing of the leper, not just his body, but also his heart. To know that the God of the universe cared enough to come down and and touch him and heal him. And, And let it be a reminder to us of what the God of the universe has done for us. That he came here. God didn't just heal us from a distance. He sent his son to take our sin, our our mess, upon himself and to die for it. To show you that God cares for you and wants to heal your heart as well. It's the compassion of God. We also see compassion uh, of Jesus in the second story. There we hear about a servant of a centurion who was paralyzed. And let's remember who a centurion would have been in those days. A uh, centurion was a, a Roman, a, a leader of about 80 to 100 soldiers in a detachment, and they would have symbolized to the Israelites the oppression of the Romans in their land. Israel was living underneath the thumb of the Roman government, and a centurion would very likely have been a figurehead for that oppression. And you can imagine if there was an Israelite there standing next to Jesus when the centurion said, heal my servant, please. You can imagine an Israelite thinking, hey, let that Roman servant, the centurion servant, suffer like we've been suffering under them. 
That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. Or some translations put it as a question, shall I go and heal him? But we see later on that he does exactly that. He healed him. The gospel is for all nations. And again, the miracles point ahead to the gospel message. And I think that Jesus had compassion on this Roman and his servant because he wanted them to know as well the power of the gospel message and that it was to go to all people. So what we see in these two stories is the willingness of Jesus to bring restoration to help people with their needs. And the application point here is that we should have compassion like Jesus. Now again, the point of this sermon series is that we would look at what Jesus did and said and that we would become more like him, that we would allow God to change our hearts to make us more like Jesus. And what we see here is compassion from Jesus, the kind of compassion that we should have. In 1 John 2.6 it says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How did Jesus walk? He walked around with compassion for the lost, the hurt, the needy. Now, ironically, there's another person in these stories other than Jesus who shows compassion. It's this Roman centurion. He saw his servant in need and he acted. And he went to Jesus and asked for help for his servant who was in need. And that's a great pattern for us as well. When we see people in need, we should do what we can to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In the Bible, there's this picture of us, the church, those who know Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And if God wants to send his compassion to other people in this world then may we be people who are ready to go as his hands and as his feet to bring that compassion and grace and mercy to others. So again, are you a compassionate person? Or do you come up with reasons not to be compassionate? Think about the last week of your life. Let's test this out. What needs did you see in the last week of your life? And did you meet them? Or and uh, I speak from experience on this, please know, I'm not pointing my fingers at you, or did you come up with some reasons in your mind of why you didn't have to go and help that time? We've all done it. I I just want us to be people who, who look at our Savior, who learn from Him, and allow God to make us more like Him. So let's let God do His work in our hearts to make us more compassionate with, with that very compassion that we saw in Jesus. And the the simple answer is if you realize that there's something in your heart that's not right here, just talk to God about it. And boy, there's a life lesson for you, not just in regard to compassion, but whatever it is. If there's anything wrong in your heart, talk to God about it. May we always, always be ready to do that. Our hearts first. Our second key concept today is authority. I apologize that those words on the screen are... I didn't realize they'd be that small, but uh, I hope you can see that. Authority is what we're looking at here. In the first story, all it took was for Jesus to reach out his hand and give the command, be clean, and the leprosy had to flee. That kind of reminds me of uh, later on in chapter 8 when Jesus calmed the storm. Remember, he just spoke a word, and the disciples, uh, I'll read it for you, they said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That's the authority of Jesus right there. All he had to do was speak a word. The one through whom the universe was created, that's Jesus, he has complete authority over the universe. It is no problem for him to heal a man of leprosy or to heal a paralytic or to heal someone of cancer or to heal whatever is going on in your heart. 
fact, it's so easy that, like I said, all Jesus had to do was speak a word and the leprosy was gone. To speak a word and the paralytic was healed from a distance. Now, in the case of the leper, after he was healed, Jesus told him to go and to uh, show the priest to, what did he say? Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What would the testimony be to the priest? They would see, probably for the first time in their lives, a person healed of leprosy. And what should they really see? The authority of God. Again, that's, I think, the reason for the miracles in here is to confirm Jesus as the one who has power from God. So these priests should have been the ones to ask the question, who did that and what does it say about him? And boy, that must be from God. Now, let's look at a little bit more closely at this second story and look at the idea of authority. And I'm fascinated by this one. I've always loved this. And, and I'll just confess again, this is one of those sections of Scripture where I look at it and I, and I already know that my words aren't going to do it justice. So I, just, I want you to, to look at this story with me, to listen to the Holy Spirit as he's, as he's talking to you, because I think there is something really powerful in, in what we see. Uh, the Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, and when Jesus responded, I will go and heal him, the centurion responded in verse 8 that he wasn't worthy to have Jesus come. So here's one of the most powerful people in Israel, a Roman centurion, recognizing his place underneath the authority of Jesus. And think about that. A centurion probably would have understood the concept of authority better than most people. In the military, commands and rank are important things, so I hear. Uh, I have to chuckle a little bit because I've used this illustration here before, but I, I like doing this with people who are in the military. I ask them the question, your commanding officer, when he gave you a command, was it a command or a suggestion? And, and usually the response is that people laugh and they say, I've never heard a commanding officer give a suggestion. He gives commands. That's what he does. So this Roman centurion who is used to having his subordinates obey him, he recognized his place underneath the authority of Jesus. But there's even more here. He didn't just recognize his place underneath Jesus' authority. He also recognized Jesus' authority to heal even from a distance just by speaking a word. The, this Roman centurion, all he had to do was to say, go, and his servant would go. Come, and he comes. Do this, and he would do it. For Jesus, all he had to do was to say the word. And in all of this, we get a really good picture of what it means that Jesus is Lord. Both the leper and the centurion called Jesus Lord. Now, I don't know if they fully understood all that that word means. In Greek, that word can just have the same meaning as our English word, sir, but it can also have the meaning of master, and it can also have the meaning of the name of God. Now, maybe they didn't understand the fullness of it right there at that time, but we should. We should understand that whenever we come to Jesus, we are coming to the Master. We are coming to the Lord God. Jesus has complete authority over us and over everything in our lives. And the application then is simple. We should recognize our place underneath the authority of Jesus. Now, I've said it here many times, and I'll say it again. We are not the Lord of our own lives. We often like to pretend that we are. We often like to pretend that we have control, pretend that we have the right to live our lives however we want. And yes, God does let us make choices. I believe in free will. 
but we must recognize that we are not the commanding officer in our relationship with God. So may we live in submission to God, and I, I pray that your heart rejoices as you think about that. As you think about submitting to your Lord and your Master, I, I think that there are people who would say, oh man, what a drag to have to, to give control to Him and to let Him lead your life. Man, what's He going to make us do? And we've all had thoughts like that at times, probably. But I hope the more that you've followed Him, the more that you have seen it to be a great joy to follow Jesus Christ. Because He loves you perfectly. The God of the universe has good plans for you and will strengthen you to do everything that he calls you to do. So for us, submitting to our master should be a great joy because he won't lead us anything into which he will not also be with us in. The best life for us is the life where we submit to God, submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, like I said, we have three key concepts I want to look at today, but before we get to our third key concept, I want to take a two very quick side trips, okay? So uh, we did this on our, our trip to Yellowstone. We were driving back, and Christine said, hey, how about we stop here? Okay, we're stopping here. So we're doing a little side trip. The reason for these two side trips, um, I just want to... I want to show to you that I understand that we all have questions as we read the Bible. And in, and in these two passages, there's maybe a couple of questions that come up, and I don't want to pretend they're not there. So, side trip number one. Why did Jesus tell the leper to keep quiet? In verse four, he, uh, he said, see that you don't tell anyone. Why didn't Jesus say, hey, look what I just did for you, tell everybody? There were some times in the Gospels where he did that. But there were also some times, several times actually, where he told the people not to tell what he had just done. Now, I think the best answer to why this happens is because Jesus knew what would happen if word got out about his healing powers. In fact, we see that in the Gospels. When people heard that he had the ability to heal, what happened? All the people came to him. And what did they want? They wanted healing. And Jesus was glad to heal them, but Jesus also told us he had other things that he needed to do. Specifically, he needed to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So think about it. If all that happened was for word to get out about how much Jesus could heal a person's body, what do you think people would start to think the most important thing that Jesus came to do was? To, to heal people. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing was Jesus came to bring forgiveness for our souls so that we could live in a restored relationship with God. So I think that's the reason here for telling the leper to keep quiet. Now eventually, uh, Jesus told his disciples to tell everything, to, to spread the good news into all the world. Uh, but I think that when we read the Gospels, that's, that's how we can understand that, that secrecy there. Is Jesus just wasn't ready yet for the crowds to press on him like that even though we saw eventually they did. Okay, side trip number two. What about miracles today? As we read Matthew 8 and 9, we see a bunch of miracles. In fact, I counted 11 separate miracles, and that's not counting the, uh, the many that it says in verse 16 that were also healed. What about today? Why does it seem like there are so many miracles in the Bible but we don't see so many of them today. Well, I have two answers to that question. First, I believe that God can heal today. In fact, uh, many of you know that uh, my sister-in-law is, is very sick uh, with cancer, and uh, we're going to be praying for her. And one of the things that we're going to pray for her specifically, uh, if any of you want to join with us, uh, this Monday through Wednesday, some of us are going to be praying and fasting, and we're going to ask God for healing. 
We're going to ask for other things as well, but we're going to ask for healing because I believe in a God who can do that. I, I've seen one miraculous healing. It's a, it's a neat story about a gal who had two lumps on her brain. And uh, we prayed for her. Next time she went back to the doctor, nothing there. Um, by faith, we can join with God in whatever he has for us. Now that might mean a miracle. It might also just mean that God will give us the strength to face whatever comes our way because Jesus promised us that there will be trouble in this world. He also promised us a place where there is no more trouble. But for now, we may have to deal with a certain amount of trouble. We may see God break in and do a miracle, but we may not. And that leads to my second answer to this question. What about miracles today? We need to submit to God's will. Like I said before, the primary reason that Jesus came was not to bring healing to our bodies, but to bring healing and forgiveness to our souls. As such, we must not pretend that the healing of our bodies is the most important thing. Our lives are meant to show the goodness of God, and I pray that God's goodness will be shown in us, whether that's through healing or whether that's through Him strengthening us in the midst of difficulty. And in that, the people around us can see the gospel. They can see our trust in Jesus. They can learn the gospel message. They can have forgiveness of sins. My sister-in-law has already mentioned how uh, this has opened so many doors for her to talk about Jesus with other people, people she's been hoping for years to talk with. She now has been able to talk with them about the gospel. But it all comes down to God's will. Like I said, sometimes it may be God's will to heal. Sometimes it may not be. But you see, the most important thing is what's going on in our souls. And we should live in submission to the God who loves us. And I like the leper here is a really, really great example of this. Look what he said. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He acknowledged God's ability to heal him, but he also, and I love this, he added that part, if you are willing. We don't always know God's will. I don't always know God's will. We can seek God's will in reading his word and in praying and in talking with other wise believers to learn from God. But our lives should be a, a, in constant pursuit of seeking God's will. And I think that's what the leper was doing here. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And he left it there. He left it at God's will. And that's what we should do as well. And then with the centurion, he knew that Jesus had the authority and all Jesus had to do was to speak a word. Jesus still has that authority and, and we just simply need to trust in the God who can do it. We don't know if it's his will always to do it, but we trust in God, recognizing that he is the one in authority. He is the one who loves us and has compassion on us. Our part in this then really is just to do what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, let's move on to our third key concept now, which is faith. Faith. Now, as I read Matthew 8 through 9, I don't see the healings and the miracles as the main point. And again, that might sound strange because there's so many of them. What I see is the main point here is that of people following Jesus by faith. And the healings fit in here to show that Jesus is the one who has authority and who is worthy to be followed. But the point isn't that just Jesus would fix a few problems. The point is that our hearts would be in submission to him, that we would recognize his greatness, his authority, his worthiness, and that we would follow him. So let's take 
a look at the examples of faith in these first two stories. For the leper, again, he simply came to Jesus and asked him about his will. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He knew God could do it. He just sought after God to learn his will. And it's a great pattern for us. Again, we should be people who keep on seeking God's will. He didn't demand a miracle here. He simply asked God if it was his will. And in that request, we see a great example of submissive faith. I don't see in this leper's request a selfish demand. I see in it humble submission to God, again, in that if you are willing, you can make me clean. Is that what your prayers are like? It can be really easy for us just to ask God for the stuff that we want, but are we willing to take the time to say, not my will, but yours be done? And then similarly with the centurion, we see a picture of what Jesus called great faith in verse 10. Great faith. This centurion knew that he shouldn't come to God with a demand. That would be out of rank. As someone who is underneath the authority of Jesus, you don't come to him with a demand. He did come to him with a request, though, recognizing the the greater authority of the one above him. And as we see in the following verses, that led to great blessing. It led to healing. And Jesus added in there this part in verses 11 to 12 about how there would be many people from the surrounding nations who would get to spend eternity with God. Although he also mentioned that there would be some who should have had the inside track into that kingdom who would not spend eternity with God. Why? It had everything to do with faith. Or lack of faith for those who didn't get in. And Israel should have been the first to recognize that their Lord had come. But far too many of them rejected Jesus. But this Roman centurion, a Gentile, recognized Jesus as Lord. And it's a sign for us of how the nations will hear the gospel message. And when we sing before Jesus in eternity, there's going to be a great throne from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. And then to confirm his power, Jesus said in verse 13 that the servant of the centurion was healed just as he believed it would. So there's, there's that interplay of faith in there. The centurion believed that Jesus could do it and Jesus healed him just as he believed he would. So that's the place of the healing in these two chapters. Jesus showed his authority over the problems of our world, and he did it, I think, to show that he has authority over the greatest problem in our world. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But in doing this, Jesus also showed compassion for people. Again, he didn't have to touch the leper. Uh, We'll see this lots of times. There there were people who come to Jesus and and we could easily come up with reasons not to help them, but that's not what Jesus did. He had great compassion. Also here, we see great authority of Jesus. All he had to do was speak a word. He is Lord of all. So what do we do with all of this in 2017? Well, we should respond with faith to the one who has compassion and authority. So I'm trying to wrap up all three concepts into one here if you don't catch what I'm doing. We should have faith in the one who has compassion for us and in the one who has authority over everything. Or let me say it this way. Jesus is Lord of all. We should follow him. 
We all face something far worse than leprosy or paralysis in our lives. Every single one of us had hanging over us the penalty for our sin, which would have been eternal separation from God. Every single one of us face that. It's like the darkness, the weeping, and the gnashing of teeth from verse 12. And by the way, uh, who's the one who spoke the most about hell in the Bible? It's Jesus. We, we evangelicals didn't make that up to scare people. It, it's a reality. There is hell out there, but the good news is that Jesus came to rescue us from it. And as we think about those who have gone before us, Praise the Lord for the compassion of God to rescue them. And we're told it happens through faith in Jesus Christ. But if we really knew, every single one of us, what was hanging against us, what the penalty could be, we would all hopefully be like that leper and cry out before Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. And you know what? Jesus is willing. He proved it by going to the cross for us. So I want you, these three concepts we've been looking at today, compassion, think about the cross. Jesus had no sin of his own. He could have called on more than 12 legions of angels to rescue him from it, but he didn't. He went the full distance, dying on the cross for our sins, to pay our penalty, to show his power over death so that we could be forgiven. It is the compassion of Jesus Christ, the compassion of God for every single one of us to let you know that God loves you and wants you to be with him forever. And then think about authority as well as we think about the cross. How did Jesus show his authority? Well, it's in what happened three days later when the tomb was empty, his dead body could not be found, but his living body was seen by many. Jesus has authority over sin and death and the devil. And for any who call out to him, we can receive the salvation that he freely gives through his blood shed on the cross. All that's left is for us to place our faith in him. And then once we've placed our faith in him, we keep living every moment of our lives by faith in him, going where he leads us. It says in verse 10 that Jesus was astonished, or some translations say amazed, at the faithful response of the centurion. I would love it for us if, if we were a group of people that Jesus looks at us and is amazed at our faith. Let's be people who keep living by faith, who keep seeking God's will. Let's continue to trust that God has ultimate authority over our lives, over everything in our lives, never pretending that we are the master of our own lives. And let me just stop there and ask you a question. Does, does your life, every single part of it, give testimony that Jesus is Lord? Uh, for some people, they give part of their life to God and they like to, like to show that Jesus is Lord of that part of their life, but then they live the rest of their lives for themselves. I don't want us to be like that. I don't want us to be somebody different on Tuesday night than we are on Sunday morning. I want us to live every single moment of our lives recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord, letting him have his way, where we're in submission to him, where we go where he leads us. And if that's not where your heart is at, just talk to God and he can cleanse you. He can make you more like Jesus as you keep seeking him. So let's continually place our faith in Jesus, trusting in his authority, and as we do that, let's show compassion to those around us, and hopefully people will see in us the gospel message and, and will place their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord of all. 
we should follow him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die for us, to rescue us from sin and death, but also to teach us. And in these miracles, in these stories of, of healings, we see the authority and the, and the compassion of Jesus. And I pray that every single one of us would submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, gladly recognizing that he is Lord of all. And God, as we continue to follow Jesus as Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts. Would you keep making us more like Jesus? Would you make us people who are compassionate like Jesus is compassionate? And in all of this, God, may we continue to surrender our lives to you, joyfully rejoicing, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.